Hey everybody, it's Chris and Rick Talk Guitars. Today we want to talk about a couple albums. One is by The Replacements called Sorry Ma Forgot to Take Out the Trash. And the other is uh, one of UFO's finest albums called Lights Out. And we'll talk about Lights Out first. Um, came out in 77. Um, it's just one of my favorite albums as a whole album, really. I mean, I love the guitar sounds and I love the guitar playing, but I, I just think it's one of the coolest albums that they put out song-wise as well. But in terms of guitar tone, it's just that quintessential Shanker, you know, through a Marshall. I just dig all the songs. But there's there's one song in particular that I think is interesting. I think it, it sounds like he's going direct, which is um, Try Me, that kind of slow song. Are you familiar with that, Chris? Yeah, yeah, that ballad. Tune. Yeah, but I just dig the sound that he gets on that that um, recording. It's so like it's so intimate and in your face, and that he does that harmony too with himself. Um, but I just dig that sound. Does that sound like he's going direct to you? Um, I listened to the song this morning, and I you know I had the record back in the days, but I don't recall one thing that I noticed about that that I didn't notice before when I was a kid was that. They're using it must be like an ovation acoustic guitar. They're plugged in, so it's really interesting because they're using that sound that the entire acoustic guitar industry took years and years to try to get rid of. But they're using it creatively on that record. Did you notice that? It's no. like that quiet ovation acoustic guitar sound. So it's not mic'd. It's like electric. And I, I'm I'm guessing it's an ovation because at that time they were really popular. But it has that sound. But the way they use it on that record is really interesting because it works. It works well, but it's that quacky like sound that um, so many pickup companies have tried to get rid of. So that's what I noticed, and, and it's on that song too. Oh, got it. That's so funny. Yeah, you could be right because I mean those those guitars were all over the. Everybody was using an ovation at that time. I mean, it's insane. Every every all the footage I see of people playing acoustics back then were playing ovations. At one point or another, I think Paul Simon was playing one too for a little bit. But yeah, um, I just think in terms of guitar sound, it's just such a he just gets such a cool sound. It's such a unique sound. I never really knew until you were. I, th I think you told me that he was playing with through a wah that wasn't. It was on, but it was just he found a sweet spot and left it there. Because um, I kind of always wondered how he got that quacky kind of cool uh, mid-rangey guitar sound um but once you find that out and it's like you want to experiment with it and get it because it's just such a cool because the guitar cuts through but it's still got that squishy kind of cool um overdrive sound but it kind of cuts through in a really cool way yeah no a lot of people use that and i didn't realize that until much later because it's yeah that's that nasally like honky guitar sound that just totally punches out and i'm like how are they doing that and <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people did that, but he was pretty famous for that. Um, but no, that record, listening to it again after you know some time, it just one of the things that stood out to me is how restrained and deliberate the playing is on that. Like it's so not what happens on a lot of records anymore. It's like we all know what Michael Schenker is capable of, but he's playing a lot of just totally in the pocket, restrained parts that just kind of fill out the rest of the song if you listen to it on your own you're like he must be going crazy he could be like ripping or adding riffs or whatever but he's just playing these really deliberate parts 
But when you look at the, some of those parts and what they create, that's the way like a lot of songs were created back then. It's kind of like, you know, the really like dry drum sound. And then you've got, you know, the rhythm guitar and the keyboards. And then another rhythm guitar part that he's playing that's really simple, but works against the other guitar part. There's a lot of that on that record. Yeah, I think that's a really uh, good observation. Also, for me, again, it just reinforces the fact that, um, or, or reinforces for me why I'm drawn to him as a player so much is his melody. Like, he's yeah. such a melodic player. Like, I think people think of him as a shredder, which he is, but... Um, kind of like you were saying, he doesn't just wank. He 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 tries to find melodic phrasing and good note choice for whatever passages he's playing. And I this I think this is a really good album to um, showcase that. Um, and so I, again, like I'm drawn to like melodic players and melodic songwriters. And again, this album really just epitomizes that for me in terms of some of his playing. And again, Love to Love is one of the coolest songs, I think, by them. And that's got yeah. some cool guitar stuff in there as well. What are some of the key songs on that album that you dig guitar-wise? Well, that was great. That, the intro, the way that song unfolds on this record, and even more so on the um, the live album, what is that, Strangers in the Night, is it's got that eerie, like, kind of exorcist-sounding, like, piano or, or keyboard part in the beginning, and they just build upon that. And it just, like creates a lot of excitement live i've seen them live but not with schenker but and i think that one has a pretty prominent like plugged in acoustic guitar too if i remember correctly okay. but oh that's a great one and i remember um working that solo out as a kid the first solo the one where it's you know really melodic part and i love to play that schenker's got this thing going on where it's he's got this i don't want to say boogie but the way he swings some of those lines really fast where he's playing melodic and then he goes into this thing it's just mind-blowing for me i mean thinking back on the those days when i first you know when i was when i first discovered ufo for a lot of kids it was you know eddie van halen was the guitar god right and i for some reason back then i wasn't really that into van halen even being a guitar player Michael Schenker was my Van Halen. He was the guy that I just thought was a god, you know, a guitar god. And just, I just wanted to do that. You know, I just wanted to be him. I just thought he was amazing. And I think it was his melody. I mean, he, I mean, you're right. He can shred. He, he can go really fast. But um, just like the lyrical playing, which Eddie Van Halen is totally capable of. But in the context of the band UFO, I think Schenker got to shine a little bit more because, you know, the hook, the, the nature of the hooks of the songs and stuff like that. So, yeah, I loved him. Well, and I totally dig what you're saying about Boogie. I think you're absolutely right. And there's, he captures a feel and a tempo, like uh, Too Hot to Handle, for instance, like that song, like just the chords, the chords he's playing and the way he's playing them. And then also just the lead stuff he does on that, to me, kind of typifies what you're saying about a Boogie or kind of a capturing a feel. Um, and that's the way he played. It's like, it's a lot of feel that that's what I get from his playing feel and melody. And yeah, like you, I was drawn to that when I was young too. It, it just grabbed me. It's just like, this guy knows what he's doing. It's like, even when he's just playing chords, it's like, he's not just, I mean, there's, there's, there's a rhythm to it and a feel to it. And yeah, it, it's, it's kind of cool. Too hot to handle for me is, is, is came to my mind when you said boogie. I mean, is that, 
what do you think about? Yeah, that's that solo. That solo, it starts out like, I think with a couple of bands and then he do, goes into that thing where he's just like, it's like got a really swingy, really fast swingy element to it. And I guess, you know, you could call it like a boogie feel, but I, I mean, I could never do that. I mean, okay. I would just start working his solos out and get to a little passage like that. And I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> I can't do that. It's just, I mean, it's part of his unique style. And I love that about him. And, and that just makes all of like the soft, l- lyrical, melodic stuff just that more powerful because he's in that mode. And all of a sudden he d- does these passages where it just like flies down the fretboard. So it's not like wanking at all. It just like fits together at point A to point B with, you know, point B1 in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I, I, um, and especially that song too up to handle i think that lead is one just one of the coolest leads i've ever heard just because it just it is it, it he's not just trying to wank he's he's trying to match the the chords that that are underneath and he's trying to put together these phrases that you know that communicate you know what he, whatever he's feeling yeah i i totally i totally hear what you're saying and again yeah as a player he was he was one of mine definitely when i was younger for sure i mean he just stood out i heard uh, lights out and then um a couple of the other early albums and just like i was captivated by that guy's sound like again like you know just his sound alone to me and again as we talked about it like it's his fingers it's the way he plays it's it's the guitar he's playing um but um that wah i think really just set him apart from other players. I mean, like you're saying, I guess other players are doing, but I wasn't really aware of, of it as much as when I heard Shanker play, I guess, to get that sound. What are some other players that were doing that back then? Mick Ronson was a huge oh, okay. oh, that's right. And um, um, Frank Zappa was really into it. He would use a wah, but he'd also use other things to get that honk, kind of like that, right. that frequency to, to poke out. But those are a few that I can think of off the top of my head but yeah i've played around with that it's cool you i mean if you dig out a wah and do that and kind of you know search for a frequency that really pops out and makes it sound great i mean you can get a lot of ideas because it just changes how everything you know just kind of responds when you play even it just it's it's a really interesting thing to try yeah i know and that, that's another cool thing is and it's not a big deal it's like it's a it's it's just a wah pedal and you can get a wah pedal for cheap you know and and uh i think he even said he used like dunlop was or vox was but nothing special um whatever you know wherever he had on hand but but that's an easy thing to do if you're a guitar player just to try something new is just to mess around with that wah wah pedal and, and try to find a sweet spot that you dig yeah i've kind of messed around with it too and it's kind of fun but yeah, so that, that album for me is um, is just one of the my favorite albums, just from a, a song perspective and definitely from a guitar perspective. So I always put that on, you know, consistently every now and then, and just kind of geek out on it. And I've been doing a lot of listening with headphones lately too, which is super cool. And I've just really gotten into all the instruments and the sounds and. So that's been really cool for me lately. Um, let's so let's talk about the replacements album. Why don't you start in with that one? All right, yeah. The replacements. Sorry, Ma, forgot to take out the trash. Was their first record in 1981, and I was a huge replacements fan back in the mid to late 80s, like right when they were kind of still around but i kind of went backwards i my introduction to the replacements were 
Let It Be, Tim, and then Hootenanny. And, you know, much later I went and got their first record. And it's so it's so weird because their first record is great, but they have records after that are like the critically acclaimed and they kind of came into their own and they had their thing going on and they're fantastic. But Sorry Mom is the one in recent years is the one that I listen to the most. I'll dig it out and play it. And I'm trying to I was trying to figure that out. It's kind of why I chose this record to talk about is what about that record is so appealing to me and one of the things is is it's you know me being from Michigan the Midwest it's like folk music for the Midwest all the songs on there are just things i can completely relate to like bad weed deals and hanging out in convenience stores and downtown and they're just these really short energetic you know super fast like rock and roll songs yeah and the things that I ended up loving about like Let It Be, Tim, Please to Meet Me, and Hootenanny, they're they're in place on this record. It's like, you know, if just a casual listening, you might miss them. But the all of the things that made them a, a fantastic band are are on that record. It's just, yeah. you know, it's so kind of misleadingly simple because it's fast, energetic, you know, and you you know, a casual listening, you're like, oh yeah, this is just American punk with tinges of hardcore from the 80s, but you listen deeper and all the things that they went on to develop to become this fantastic band are there. But I just like the way it's presented, the, you know, just the way the, the songs roll out, the pacing. What was your question? Do you have a question? Well, I just, yeah, I just asked you to get it started and you did a great job. Um, um, just adding on to that, I would say totally, I to me, it's, it's it's the obviously it's their first album so it's the raw probably some of the rawest replacements you'll hear but like you said it's not just punk it's like i can hear this westbergian stuff within each song like just the way he his his chord choice and the way he sings over sometimes you'll you'll get that the references to the later albums and some of the later songs and that's kind of what i dug about it too but what i really dug is just the rawness of the sound and like the very punk. I mean, I, I just kept thinking about Ramones and, and other punk bands like that, that I love that are again, like I'm drawn to melody, no matter what genre it is. I, I love bands that are able to create some kind of melody that is pleasing to me while expressing themselves in whatever way they are. And punk punk, I'm drawn to punk bands like the clash, the Ramones, the, the replacements, I'd consider them punk to, to some degree. Um, but yeah, I, I thought, and then I, I watched some live stuff from 81, um, to kind of get an idea of what they were playing through too. And, and it's just so cool because they, they didn't screw around either. It's just like one song after the other. Um, and so, but yeah, I, I, in terms of guitar tones and stuff, what are your, what are your observations about that? If any, well, like you said, it was, it's totally raw record. And I think that's part of its charm, but one thing with guitar, and vocals. Paul Westerberg is one of the best rock and roll phrasers. I mean, his phrasing on the vocals on this record is just fantastic. It's exciting. It's just like classic, like rock and roll. Like it draws you in and the band knows how to work with that, either whether it's conscious or not, like all of the bass and the guitar and the drums work with that. So every line that he says just punches out and just it just delivers, you know, the song like perfectly. And one yeah. of the things that used to drive me nuts is all of the reviews early on for the replacements that someone 
reviewer would mention, you know, they can't really play their instruments, which is completely ridiculous. Yes, maybe there were times when they were playing live where they were so drunk that they couldn't play their instruments, but even listening to their first record, Raw As It Is, is they played together fantastically. I mean, like I'm saying, I mean, Paul Westerberg's phrasing is just like phenomenal, but part of the reason is, is the band knows how to help with that phrasing. I mean, the bass, just the way, you know, his bass lines kind of just punch in and out, and Bob Stinson's little guitar, like his single note guitar lines that he peppers here and there, you know, it's not really rhythm, it's not really lead, you know, it's not a solo. It's just like, all that just stuff enhances the delivery of the song. And it's just, it's really exciting. I mean, this record you play a lot, and it's, you know, it's fun. It's funny, but it's not, you know, silly. It's it's just great, like, folk music to me. Yeah, I, that's what I, yeah, I, I think that's, it's kind of a, I think punk, I would consider this a punk album, too. And I think a lot of people tend to write off punk musicians as not being able to, quote, not being able to play their instruments, which is a crock, I think. Um, they're just, you know, they're just coming at it from a different perspective than other musicians. It's just like, it's just whatever. But yeah, I mean, I think Bob Stinson, a lot of his solos are really cool for, for the way you mentioned it. It's like, it's not necessarily a lead and it's not necessarily rhythm, but it's just like, he's, there's, there's something going on there that's kind of unique and, and really cool. And I, and also like, the live stuff I was watching, I don't, I couldn't even tell what amps they were using. I think, I don't know. I can't, I don't, I don't even know what Westerberg was playing through, but I think the other guy, Bob Stinson was playing through some kind of Fender thing, but, but they got this really cool, like, uh, Westerberg's tone wasn't really super overdriven. It was just more like, I can't describe it. He was playing through a P90, but it was really cool. And just their, their tones together really sounded cool live and especially obviously on the record um they have a really cool sound but yeah I, I i i'm always struck by that like people say that about all those punk bands oh they can't play their instruments it's like well fuck you they're they're, <laughs> they're playing from a they're coming from a different headspace than than like a prog rock band or a, a rock and roll band or, or any other kind of band and it doesn't mean they can't play their instruments it just means they're just coming from a different headspace oh and they're, and they're delivering songs i mean these songs are great i mean oh. There's some of them are really short. They're kind of like you know, they kind of seem a little, you know, jokey. But there, there's great lyrics buried in there too. And and yeah, I mean, they know how to play. Listen to like, on a song where they like, they'll just immediately break down into like this little blues, a few bars of blues or something. It's just like seamless, and they're all playing together. They all yeah. know where everybody is. You know, you can tell that they're just, you know, they know these songs inside out and. They're they're com I mean they're complicated. A lot of these sound really easy, but they're they're pretty complicated. And you know, they I mean you watch that. I think the video that you're referring to. There's some live at the Seventh Street entry stuff from '81. And if that's what it is, they're on fire. I mean they're just yeah. like sweating. They're just going one to the one song to the the next. And um, he goes out of tune at one point, but it's still great. The energy level is just like it, it's just like unmatched they're they're just on fire but for instruments during this time i'm looking at the cover here of this record uh -huh. and westerberg who as i understand it he he favored gibson's a lot of the time so he was like very early on he had 335 and he also had he liked the the junior style guitars it's junior and special so he had like an 
uh, Les Paul SG Jr. And I think he had a single cut Jr. So he was he was big into the Gibsons. And um, on this record, it's very interesting because Bob Stinson has some sort of Telecaster guitar, but it has a, a tailpiece and the ABR like Gibson bridge, the Gibson style bridge, um, just a single humbucker in the bridge position. So I don't know what guitar that was. And Tommy Stinson is playing on the front. He's playing a cool, um, well, who made the silver tone, a silver tone bass. And I uh, just for a second, I, I really love Tommy Stinson's bass playing on this record. Yeah. It's just it's just really bouncy and great and kind of wild. And, you know, that matched with Bob Stinson. He's like, he's kind of reckless, but, you know, he's there. I mean, to know his influences, he was really into like prog rock. Like he was at yes and all this other stuff. And at times you can see that poking out. But to me, he often sounds like just a wild, almost like ace freely at times where it's just like kind of reckless, but it's just really exciting. And it just, it draws you in, but the whole package is what I like. And on this record, it's just what how everybody interacts. It's like it's kind of like with the UFO record. It's the sum of the parts. It's what's going on. Yeah, I totally agree. And when I was watching that live footage, I was really focusing on um, Tommy Stinson. He, he's a great bass player. I mean, even he was super young back then. He just I don't know. I think he had this innate sense of of how to play. Yeah, I was really, really getting into it. And like you say, if I think that's the recording, the one you referred to. I think that is the one you were talking about. They're in this little club, and they're yeah. just busting out the song. They don't even count the songs. They're just like, they, they end one song, and then Westerberg grumbles something into the mic, and then they start another song. It's like, it's insane. But it's, yeah, it's very energetic. It's very exciting. It, it's You can see, and like I was saying, in some of these songs, there are little passages where, Westerberg's singing over a chord progression and it's hinting at this these other songs coming out in the future and that's what I dig is just to kind of see the the raw uh talent and and potential of this band and, and him as a songwriter um in these early early recordings that's that's kind of what I really dig about it too yeah there's the hooks I mean they're in there, and, and they're great. I mean, I like this record. I do, I do like what it hints at, too, but I just like this record. I mean, yeah. I hate music. I mean, <laughs> some of these songs are. Um, you know, Johnny's Gonna Die is great because, you know, nobody was surprised that it turned out to be true, but it has that groove that you that will pop up again later. It's that totally, like, groove. Like I think like from Tim, like Swing and Party or something, where and that kind of interplay on that song, I really dig. Bob Stinson's guitar, he, he bunks a few notes here and there, but it's totally in the spirit and, you know, the tone and everything is, is there. My thought on this is they just, they picked a good guitar, a good amp, and turned it up and just had some songs. Yeah. And I mean, no one's going to like write a book about the tone on this record, or I love the tone that Gibson P90s get with a cranked amp. So, you know, you, I'm sold on that for, you know, everything. But this, I don't, these, some of these songs sound like they were recorded at different times in different sessions in different rooms. So that's kind of adds to its charm. It's just like one after the other, these short little folk songs that they, they sound they sound different and it's like they didn't take you know six weeks to get a snare drum sound you know what i mean <laughs> like stick it in a room and turn it up and play and they play the, the performances on this record to me do capture a lot of that 
spirit that's you can see in that video where it's like, wow, this band is yeah. you know, off the hook. And it's there in this recording for me. And I think that's another reason why I like it. Yeah. And for me, that's that's a big deal, too, is is for the studio recording to capture whatever live energy a band has. And a lot of times it's it isn't translated very well. And this one is translated really well. And that's one of the things I dig about this recording, too, is that it captures the live frenetic energy that this band just puts out um, in the studio. And like you're saying, yeah, they wouldn't tolerate some engineer trying to get drum sounds for for 20 minutes. (laughs) They didn't have the attention span. Right. It's like and that again, like that, that comes through in their music. It's like they don't they're not screwing around. They just want they just they just have this inside them and they want to get it out and and there's no yeah they don't want to screw around with with anything that's going to distract from that they weren't screwing around but they were screwing around their entire career in every other respect well sure that's that's the duality that i kind of dig about this band is that they were like you were saying um it's not silly but it's it's kind of off the cuff or snarky there's there's a lot of darkness <laughs> you know what i mean it, it's not i mean the replacements are dark man it's like there's some dark shit coming through everything that they produce but again that's part of the intrigue about this band and about westerberg as an artist for me it's like just this duality the you know i mean they you know the whole thing is that they they were always self-sabotaging themselves right they're on their own worst enemy like in interviews they were you know just taunting the interviewer and, and saying crazy shit. And when they were on tour, they were burning their per diem money and stuff. <laughs> like it, it's all kind of captured in their music, you know, which is kind of cool. Yeah. We should circle back to a little bit more UFO because we spent so much time on yeah. replacing, which I don't mind, but I mean, I, I don't want to shortchange UFO. Well, Did you, let me ask you something. Did you have the, when you were a kid, did you have the Strangers in the Light live record? No, I didn't. Do you have it now? No. Oh, you definitely need to check that out because I love Lights Out, the, the studio record. But you should hear the versions on the live record of that. Like, you know, you mentioned Love to Love. Yeah. That song live is just amazing. I mean, to, if you've never heard I, I definitely recommend live hearing that. Of that song, yeah. Yeah, well, maybe you probably heard it. It's pretty famous, yeah, but that's one of the best live records, you know, live rock records. It's really, really good. So you yeah. should definitely check it out if you don't. I mean, check it out. I'm sure you've heard it before, but like it's worth owning now and revisiting. But because that was the one thing that when I was listening to Lights Out, the production was kind of jarring at first because I was so used to it. I, did, I didn't have Lights Out when I was a kid. I had the live record and I played it all the time. I have Lights Out now. But I haven't listened to it in a few years. And when I first started listening to it, and that song in particular, Love to Love, I'm like, wow, that sounds completely different. I mean, it's got the same eerie keyboard, but it's just like it's that studio. It's really clean, tidy studio production, which I'm not saying is bad. I actually like that in 70s records. But it's just, you know, that song translated really well live. All those, all those songs did on, that are on the live album from that record. Yeah, I think they were a great live band. And again, um, like you're saying, I, I think UFO especially, maybe the, a, a lot of the live vibe didn't completely translate over into the studio stuff. But I, I dig kind of, there's there's this weird 
ambient. I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, there's, there's obviously reverb and things like that, but it's done in a way that's not overbearing or, but it adds this eerie kind of cool ambient sound to the recordings that I dig. And especially on lights out, I, I, I hear that, especially on songs like try me or, or even the love to love for that matter. Um, which I dig and I don't really hear so much on newer recordings. Um, and it's probably, you know, the, the irony is it's probably some of the limitations of the gear at the time, but it, it just has such a cool sound to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a pro- it's probably a little bit of the compression that everything has from the tape. It's a pretty dry recording. Yeah. I mean, I, I know I can hear the, you know, the, the reverb, there was one song that struck me. Oh, getting ready. Yeah. That that's another one that where I really you can really hear the um the acoustic guitar, but that's an example. That song is an example of like I was a modern guitar player. If you learn that song, it would be really hard to play with that much restraint because yeah. it's just it's really focused. It's there and it works really well. As a listener, you're like, yeah, we don't need like, you know, to add these little flourishes and all these little things on the, these chords just play the chords and let you know you have a bass over there you have keyboards just play a really restrained part and it, it'll all work the sum of the parts will make it work great which i struggle with as a guitar player all the time like playing i, I have a guitar part okay i can play it like this i find that it sounds better when i just dial it back play just a little bit more focused and you know sure i can put these this fancy little riff between the chord changes but maybe i shouldn't hear you know what i mean we have yeah. a bass player there that will fill in something and you know another guitar and that's what struck me on this recording is just like everything was you know pretty thought out there's a lot there's energy i mean the songs are good so there's a lot of energy but it is it's a classic 70s style record the way it's made in my opinion yeah but i think that's a great observation is just restraint I mean, I think we're all like that. We all, especially guitar players that come from that guitar slinger era. But yeah, I think that's that's I think that's the word I would come up with is restraint. And the rhythm tracks that he puts down are just awesome. They're just great because they have such feel and they just support whatever he's doing on the leads so well. But but there's not a lot of embellishment or a lot of messing around under there. It's just a straight, nice feel uh rhythm guitar yeah and another thing i just uh marvel at every time i listen to those recordings is the singer phil moog or is it moog or moog or whatever you know i never know i always mog moog moog i don't know i'd have to ask him and i don't have his number like what a great rock and roll singer i like every song it's just like yeah anyway it's lyrics are really coolly weird too i remember i didn't really you know i wasn't a huge lyric person back in then i just liked the, the hooks and the melodies yeah. but uh, there's some footage of early ufo where they didn't qu- quite have the lyrics down yet it's just hilarious it's just <laughs> it doesn't make much sense but who cares yeah it's rock oh and you're right i mean he's a, he was a great singer and he had good phrasing too he had great rock and roll phrasing so yeah, this is good. And having, you know, being a good singer with a good phrasing, you're never, it never hurts to have the kind of band that both of these bands have behind them to, when you're delivering them. That just takes it to the next level. Yeah. And I would, I would even say he, he used great restraint as a singer, right? It wasn't like he was 
getting into his own voice and trying to do all this crazy shit. It's just, he served the songs really well with his voice. He had a unique, cool rock voice that just um, served the songs. Again, I think that it just appeals to everything that I like in some music and songs, you know, melody, restraint, feel, all of that stuff. Both of these albums, I think, uh, kind of fit or, or appeal to all of those things that, that I dig about music. Yeah. Hey, did you ever see UFO live in the 70s? No. It's one of the things I really kicked myself about, too, because they were playing, you know, I think they played the Paramount and all kinds of cool places, but I never saw them live. I saw them once, but not with Michael Schenker. I saw them with Paul Chapman, and they were still great. Yeah. Paul Chapman was a good guitar player, but he, I mean, nobody can match Schenker. But what Paul Chapman did in that band was, was really good. I mean, he definitely, the band didn't go completely downhill when Schenker left, but there's no matching Schenker. I mean, yeah. I mean, the way he plays is just so unique, and the sound he gets is so cool. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, those are big shoes to fill in any band. So, but yeah, I, that's the one thing I wish I would have saw um, when I was young is, is that band live. Cause I, I'm sure it would have just been crazy, crazy cool. You know? Yeah. I saw him with cheap trick, cheap trick and UFO was- probably in 82. Right? No, it was the wild, the willing and the innocent tour, whatever that was. Oh, that's cool. Did you see the replacements live? I did. I saw them a couple of times. You know, it's it's weird because for a long time, there was a, like a semi-famous Ann Arbor show that a lot of people were at where like Bob Stinson didn't show up. It was like classic replacements and they had some waiter or something play guitar for them. I heard that story so many times from my sister who was there and some other friends that were there that I, for a while I thought I was there. I was describing the show. I'm like, I, And then I, it dawned on me I was not there. So I did never get to see the replacements with Bob Stinson. I saw him with Slim. Dunlap in probably 87 or 88, maybe 89. And I saw their, their um, reunion show here at the Paramount a few years ago, which was great. But, so I've only seen them twice. I thought I saw them third. I thought I saw one of the most infamous replacement shows ever, but turns out I just I just absorbed somebody's memory. That's <laughs> what getting old will do. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, that's cool. I never saw them live either. I wish I had too, because they were on my radar for sure. But I don't know why I didn't go see them live. But well, cool. I I really dig talking about these albums like this. We'll do more of this because I think it's really fun to just kind of get into not only the guitar stuff, but just the songs and the the other instruments and and the live versus the studio and all that stuff. So, all right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we dig it as always. Check us out on social media. Chris, you got any parting thoughts? No, just thank you for listening to us talk about these two records. Awesome. Until next time, bye. <laughs>